there's a sort of grooming with sexual abuse that happens that is preparation for the sex industry because as someone who is abused we learn many of us to feel this sense of complete powerlessness right but a desire to take back control and um this feeling that your body is not your own um and just really to become comfortable and familiar with being sexualized and objectified and these are job requirements for the sex industry so I walked into the strip club and even though I had never been in that particular environment before, the experience of being sexualized and objectified was normalized to me already because of my history of abuse. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Naked Gospel, where we explore and reimagine and re-envision what it looks like to follow Jesus and to actually know his gospel with our bodies, with our affections, with our relationships, and particularly with our sexuality. I'm your host, Shane O'Neill. Today, we're joined by Harmony Grillo. She is awesome. I already like her. Uh, She's a mother. Uh, She's been married for a number of years. She's a mother of two. She used to be in the sex industry. Uh, Then she met Jesus. And since then, she's been building this organization and this movement that acts as a haven for women who are in the sex industry. I am really excited to hear about it because I don't really know anything else like it. Um, Just for some clarification, inviting her on to be quite vulnerable with us. And I want to lean into the vulnerable punch because I need this kind of conversation as much as anyone else. And so just for a little bit of setting, I, I'm inviting Harmony on because of an experience that I had 10 years ago where I was watching porn. And to be clear, this, this has nothing to do with Harmony. I just think she'll be able to speak into it really well. So 10 years ago, I was watching porn, just binging like we all do. And I saw this one video, there's a pretty woman. And so I clicked on it and it wasn't, a, it didn't end up being a, a porn video. It ended up being an interview of a porn star. And, and this woman started to share about, started to share about being a mom, that she has two daughters. And she started to share that, how difficult it's been to get pregnant at such a young age and strive to be a mother. She started talking about her hopes and dreams for her children. And she was sharing her name and her children's names. And all of a sudden she was, she was humanized in a way that I hadn't experienced before because I'd never come across that. And as my heart woke up, other organs on my body started to go to sleep. And, and just to be clear with that, like my heart was coming alive as I was being remarkably turned off. And that was, that was significant to me. And, and Jesus taught me from that experience how dehumanizing pornography is and dehumanizing in the sense that it, it strips away a lot of levels of our, our humanity. It, it, it forces us to ne- neglect people's stories. It forces us to neglect people's tears and their laughter and their childhood and their motherhood. And hearing this woman's story really uh, just enlivened my heart. And it was just like a blip late at night. And since then, uh, Jesus has been teaching me the significance of story and how sacred it is and what it looks like to humanize people. And that pornography doesn't just cause us to humanize the people behind the screen. It also causes us to dehumanize ourselves. And so I'm excited to have Harmony on because she'll be able to, to humanize these people for us. And in the process, I think Jesus will go a long way in humanizing us and giving us back some of the things that pornography steals from us. So... That's my spiel. That's my vulnerable spiel. Uh, really excited to hang out with Harmony. If you find this conversation 
uh, helpful. Share it with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Uh, continue to subscribe and track with us uh, and enjoy the conversation. Harmony, thank you so much just for hanging with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, you're over on the West Coast, East Coast, so I'm glad we've been able to make the times work. Um, just for those who are listening in, would you mind just giving us a picture of what your life looks like right now? So first of all, I do want to say I loved your intro because one of the reasons I'm passionate about sharing my story is because it, I've always said it humanizes the woman on the other end of the dollar mm. or in the case of porn on the other end of the screen. Mm. So I'm all about that and I appreciate mm. that intro. Amen. Uh, but yeah, today um, I'm married to an amazing man mm. who shows me his love with his actions and um, we have a blended family. Mm. We're raising my tween daughter, our tween daughter, and then my little toddler boy. So prayers mm. appreciated because <laughs> it's it's special, especially in quarantine. Yeah, California is going crazy right now with COVID. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I run an organization called Treasures, mm. and we're an outreach and support to women in the sex industry and those mm. that have been exploited and trafficked, mm. and really just here to help them live healthy and flourishing lives. Mm. So. That keeps me pretty busy. All of that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's true. It uh, keeps your heart pretty active, I assume too. How long? How long have you been doing that? The treasures. This year it'll be eighteen years. That's amazing. That's truly yeah. incredible. Okay, I wanna I wanna circle back around to that, but first, just um, getting us to uh, to a pl- uh, helping us to understand how you could go from where you were to, to now 18 years with treasure. So however you want to start your story, we're just here to, to catch it and be attentive to it. And you can share and start wherever you want. I, I actually, we, we came across uh, your name with Chrissy outlaw. We had her on and then she just, just went on about how incredible you were and how, how significant you were in her life. Uh, and says so like, Shane, you have to have her on the naked gospel. So that's what precipitated this conversation. So wherever you want to start, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all ears. I love you. Yeah. To talk with you. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, so, you know, the person I'll say is my story is not that uncommon. So many of the threads in my story, so many of the vulnerabilities are very common to women who end up in the sex industry, who end up being trafficked. Hmm. Um, and essentially, you know, I come from a background where we were in a lot of poverty. My mom was a victim of a lot of trauma in her past that she never really addressed. Mm. And she brought all of that trauma, all of that pain and all of that brokenness into her parenting. Um, she struggled with a drug addiction and, you know, that really prevented her from being able to focus on protecting my brother and I. And so, you know, I was exposed to a lot. First of all, the neighborhood we lived in was one where there was a gang rivalry. So I was exposed to a lot of violence. Mm. Um, never really felt safe. Mm. There was also just a lot of chaos and violence in my home. And I was like up to 90% of women in the commercial sex industry have a history of sexual abuse. Mm. And so like them, I was also mm. sexually abused starting at the age of five, exposed to porn at the age of three. Can you give that percentage one more time? So up to 90% of women in the commercial sex industry. That's crazy. A- okay. So it it's not a coincidence, mm. right? So in my experience, really the, the sexual abuse, obviously not everyone who's sexually abused end up in the sex industry, of course. but there's a sort of grooming with sexual abuse that happens that is mm. preparation for the sex industry. Because mm. as someone who is abused, we learn many of us to feel 
this sense of complete powerlessness, right? Mm. But a desire to take back control mm. and um, this feeling that your body is not your own mm. um, and just really to become comfortable and familiar with mm. being sexualized and objectified. Mm. And these are job requirements for the sex industry. Mm. So I walked into the strip club and even though I had never been in that particular environment before, the experience of being sexualized and objectified was normalized to me already because of my history of abuse Hmm. so that you know that's one of the threads of vulnerability and you know for me one of my abusers was my mother's boyfriend and I started standing up for myself this is but this is I was 13 at this point and ran away from home to get away from the situation and my mom you know said listen I'll make him leave you can come back it's safe I came home and she used that opportunity to leave with my abuser and she left my brother and I for three months with um, $20 and a book of food stamps. And I was 13 and he was eight. Uh. So obviously that left me even more vulnerable and susceptible. And I became involved in a relationship with an older boy in my neighborhood that, you know, at first I saw him as a knight in shining armor because he would buy us food. Cause at that point I was stealing food from the liquor store Hmm. to support us. He would buy us food. He would make me feel protected. You know, I lived in this very violent neighborhood. He would tell me, I've got your back. I'll take care of you. Hmm. And I saw a knight in shining armor and I didn't recognize, you know, at that young age, his, you know, desire to exploit my vulnerability Hmm. and became involved in a relationship with him that became physically and emotionally abusive. And then ultimately led me into the sex industry at 19. And Hmm. essentially he was my pimp taking all my money, Hmm. um, using me to recruit other women in the club. But at the time, I didn't see it that way. I just saw him as my boyfriend and I saw myself as a stripper. Hmm. And I didn't recognize those layers of exploitation that were taking place. Um, So that's kind of the backstory. And then the real catalyst for change for me began with a friendship. Hmm. And it was just someone who loved me unconditionally, showed me the unconditional love of God, and really... um, just showed me an opportunity to live a different way and to see myself a different way. And she did a lot of things right in our friendship. And really today with the work we do with treasures in many ways, her friendship is a model for Hmm. the way we do care. Hmm. And um, yeah, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. And then of course the recovery journey, that's a whole nother season and time. And yeah. No, that's, that's remarkable and helpful. So did she, just to be clear, so you were in, uh, that industry and this friend uh, reached out to you or she was in the industry with you and you guys got out together. How did that, how did that work? Yeah. So funny enough, oddly enough, I met her in a local ballet class at a community huh. college. That's cool. And yeah. So she just, um, she was fun and she was funny and she didn't take herself too seriously. And hmm. you know, when I found out she was Christian, I was really afraid that she would judge me. Yeah. You based on the, I didn't even tell her the full scope of what my life looked like, but every time I gave her a little tidbit of something, Hmm. she never like acted. She never just changed the way she acted towards me. She never bat an eyelash. She just Hmm. continued to love me. And, you know, she would invite me to church, but her friendship was not contingent on me going. Hmm. And that was very important because if at any point I had felt like she was trying to score brownie points with God, or I was some kind of project, I would have walked away, but she treated me like a real person. Hmm. Um, and that was really important. And, uh, she met me where I was at and 
basically, um, eventually I became open to the idea of, wait, maybe there's something to this whole God thing, you mm-hmm. know, because of the way she loved me. Har- Harmony, how long was that? How long did that process take? Cause that's, I mean, cause there's not just the, uh, there's not just kind of the, the economic or external like walls and barriers to, to moving on in life and like creating something new, but there's also psychological ones. Like, even as you said, it's like, this was the the scenario with me and this guy who's my pimp and he was like having me recruit. But like at the time I saw it this way and it's like, yeah, like that makes total sense when you're in it. You're like, of course he's my boyfriend. Of course we're trying to make some more money and bring other, you know, like it just makes sense. You would even say maybe even trying to like help out your friends by bringing them in. You look back and you're like, Oh my God, what was I doing? You know? So when it comes to like a friend believing in you and just hanging out with you and sticking it out with you uh, without ulterior motives, like how long was that process? Okay. So I'm hesitant to say this because it's short. Okay. Considerably. Which is awesome. It's a mirror. I love it. That's okay. Here mm. and that is short. Yeah. In fact, it's incredibly short. Yeah. You know, in my particular journey, I do feel like everything was really expedited. Like, mm. the, don't get me wrong, the healing journey is ongoing. Yeah. Like, I'm still, I'm, I, I am healthy. I, mm. I, you know, I love myself. I love my life, and I am also still uncovering layers of trauma and yeah. how it impacted my life. So, yeah. no, you know, yes, I, I to say we've, I'm, I've arrived, right? Sure. Yet there, there was something um, about my process that really kind of was expedited. And I tenaciously sought healing and recovery once I realized what was available to me. Hmm. So with that said, you know, I have now had the opportunity for almost 20 years to walk alongside women who Hmm. are coming out of the industry and working to rebuild their lives. Hmm. And sometimes it takes a lot longer than a year. Yeah them to even begin to contemplate the idea of change in their yeah. life. So I say that as a disclaimer so that people who are walking alongside people aren't discouraged if yeah. they're like, Oh my gosh, I've been walking with this person for 10 years. Are you kidding me? One year. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's a journey and everyone's journey kind of looks a little different. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And even some people listening might hear like a year and say like, that's such a long time, you know? So it, it really <laughs> could swing either way, which is the irony of it. Um, yeah, no, I dig that. I, th- I think it's quite helpful because because my own my own journey with because I have a pretty heavy drug background um, and Jesus quite literally saved me and saved me from that. And it, it really was just kind of like a light bulb sort of moment. And Jesus just breathed life into me and I was quite literally born again. Like I remember that experience. Um, but I, I've spent the last, you know, uh, 10 years plus trying to figure out, you know, what is forgiveness and what is grace, uh, what is mercy and, and how to process shame, you know, how to process guilt and those sorts of things. It's, uh, talk about trauma and then the things there are like things that happen to us, but also a lot of things we do to ourselves and like learning how to forgive yourself. Uh, that's an ongoing journey for sure. So I, I, I can commiserate a lot with, uh, with the way you articulate the journey thus far. Um, a question that, so the last podcast we did was with a psychiatrist. He's a researcher up in Washington, D.C., and he does a lot of research when it comes to shame and neurobiology. His name was Kurt Thompson. Um, and I, I was curious. I don't know necessarily how to play out this question. Um, I want to know what about the gospel was most meaningful to you when you first met Jesus. Uh 
not to say the gospel is shifty and changey, um, but they're like, like, like the gospel is so multifaceted and beautiful. Uh, yeah. For instance, my little sister's uh, adopted. And so she had to wrestle with identity issues, identity issues I never, I will never have to wrestle with. And so when Jesus, when God says, Tiffany, I want you, I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to give up my biological son so that I can have you. That means more to her than it'll ever mean to me. You know, like that's, that is really good news for Tiffany, you know, and she is so cool. I just love her to death. Um, So like what for you really captured your heart and was just so very meaningful to you when it came to just looking at Jesus? Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously there's so much, but the thing that stands out to me and the thing that comes to my mind is God showed me I loved you then. And this was really powerful because, mm-hmm. you know, he basically showed me this snapshot of myself as a 17 year old whose single focus in life was trying to get this abusive relationship to work and trying to prove my worth and my value to this abusive person. Because if I could get him to validate me, then maybe I could feel good enough. Mm-hmm. And it was the the snapshot that I, I saw this it was like from an aerial view and it was myself at 17 walking from Santa Monica to Venice. I was getting off work and at night the buses had stopped running. So it's 10, 10 30 at night, maybe 11, very late for a young girl to be walking through Venice mm. At, mm. in the nineties. Yeah. Um, and I would bring him a Mountain Dew and mm. like some snacks for my work. And I just saw this picture of myself, just single focused going towards this man who was really too selfish to ever love me. And if I brought him Mountain Dew and the ice had melted, he'd be mad. And if there was too much ice, he'd be mad. And if I didn't get there fast enough, he'd be mad, right? And I just saw this picture and it broke my heart to see this young girl who was so broken and so desperate for this person's approval. And I just heard God say, I loved you then. And just snapshot after snapshot of my life. I loved you then, I loved you then. He loved me in the strip clubs. Mm. He loved me when I was a helpless child and Mm. being victimized. Mm. And basically what that is, that's grace, right? That even when we're not thinking about him and pursuing other, other endeavors, even when we're in our deepest pit and our biggest mess, Mm. like he loved me then. And in fact, he doesn't love me any more today. Right than he did then in that moment. And I really think that that stirred in me a huge revelation and understanding of his grace, which is sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of that. I love all of that. I think a good, maybe traversal point. Uh, what is, what is the message? So there, I imagine that there are two different messages. Um, like, cause you run into people like pornography and hookup culture is like ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. And seemingly everyone does it. If you don't do it, you're an anomaly. And it's hard to even meet somebody who's a, like a virgin these days. Like even that word is just like looked down upon and it's almost pejorative. Um, uh, so there's the person who views porn. Like, what do you, 
what do you say to them to help them understand what they're doing? Because it's seen as such a benign thing that it's it's harmless. I do it in the confines of my own home and it doesn't impact anybody else, you know. So there's there's that person. But then there's also the person who's in hookup culture and promiscuous, whether it's in front of in front of a camera or not, just just kind of just reckless with our bodies, you know, and in these abusive sort of relationships. So, like, I don't know if you have it necessarily scripted out, but mm-hmm. what 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 is the message that you try to give, at least to the people who are engaging in this kind of this kind of uh, beat up sense of humanity, beat up sense of relationships? Like, what is what is the message you try and give them? And and if you have something for like people who are just just doing it because it's it's okay and everyone else is doing it. There's no harm to it. Um, yeah, does that make sense? That totally makes sense. I mean, those are, you know, I guess you have two different audiences, the people who watch porn and the people who are in the hookup culture, and they obviously can intersect. They do, yeah. When it comes to porn, you know, I tread carefully here because as your audience knows, if they listen to your last podcast, I'm sure you guys talked about the fact that shame is really a huge part of the addiction cycle yeah. and shaming that experience of shame only causes people to go deeper. Into yes. The- we hide deeper. Yeah. in shame. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So my heart is not to shame anybody yeah. because the same freedom that, that God has for me and the same yeah. grace that he has for me and, and the same recovery de- journey that, that I've been through is available to, and he, he desires for people who are involved on, on the other side of the screen. Right. So, um, but I really think one of the, one of the great roads to go down to is letting God awaken you to the humanity of the person on the other end of the screen. Mm. And, um, and I think you said it really well in the beginning, like as your, as your brain awakened to that, like other things were shut down and went to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and, that means we have to also love ourselves to be able to love our neighbor well. Yeah. And so inviting God into that and asking, what does it look like in the context of porn yeah. to love self? Yeah. And what does it look like to love my neighbor? In this case, your neighbor being the person on the other side of the screen. Hmm. Um, that's what I would say. And, you know, it's funny when you bring up the hookup culture bit, um, it brought, it reminded me of, of part of my experience is that I, you know, um, I went to this concert. It was a hip hop concert. My my friend kind of a little bit tricked me into going because it was like mm. a Christian hip hop concert. I knew it was Christian, but um, <laughs> anyways, during it, this guy got up and he shared his testimony. It was very brief, only a few minutes. And he basically said that he had been a homeless drug addict and that God changed mm. his life. Mm. And he shared the scripture in John 15, five that says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain mm. in me, you will bear fruit. Mm-hmm apart from me, man can do nothing. Hmm. And it really hit me because I thought if God can love this man, then maybe he can love me. Hmm. And the whole way home, I found myself asking the question, God, what does it look like to abide in you? Hmm. What does it look like to remain in you? Which is not a bad question Hmm. for people to ask themselves those, the two audiences that you just mentioned, what does it look like for me? abide in God Hmm. in the context of my given life, my life, you know, and I believe if we ask that question, God will answer. Hmm. And my case, ironically, I was stripping at the time still. And he, Hmm. he, he told me, and I 
And, you know, anyone else outside looking in could have said, are you kidding me? You're a stripper. Like maybe quit stripping before you think about abstinence. Like, well, you're yeah. an abstinence stripper. That's so weird. Yeah. yeah. But God understood that the deeper chain for me, the deeper tie was the relationship with my exploiter and stripping was secondary to that. Mm. And so he went straight to the root. Mm. And as I began to pursue abstinence, mm. that, that tie with my ex-exploiter began to break and then the byproduct was stripping and that was a natural i see what you're saying right and so i don't know what that looks like for the people listening but i encourage you to ask god what does it look like to abide in you yeah apart from him we can do nothing and that's the i realized i was that withered branch that was disconnected from god and trying so hard to make my life work Mm. right and it Mm. just wasn't not Mm. my work no, that's really good. And I think the the key there is actually asking Jesus. I, I, we assume so much. Uh, we assume so often that we know what Jesus would say as opposed to just asking him. And we don't ask because we're we, we don't believe he'll actually respond, you know, but like Jesus is alive and he was resurrected with a voice box, you know, like he knows how to talk. And of course, he's going to speak through his word like there's no uh yeah, there's no contention there, but ask, actually get on your knees and saying, Hey, Jesus, I'm stuck. Like, what, what do you want me to go after right now? Like, what do you, what, how are you trying to disciple me? Right. right. How do you want me to know your good news? Like actually asking him that. So that's really, I really love that. I love the, the part as well with, um, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Like that's, I mean, that's in, the command that all the law and the prophets hang on, right? Like that's, those are the two commands Jesus gives his church, his family, his disciples. And we have such an allergy to self-love where it's like, uh, if it's self-love, then it's self-help and, and it's, it's broken, it's humanistic, it's hedonistic, whatever. And I think that's so important because we, we neglect, because there's this, there's this pathology. There's a stare, there's a story I can get in my head that Jesus Jesus can save other people with his truth in a way that he can't save me. And we don't actually practice knowing it for ourselves, you know, and actually knowing it. So I really love your story when Jesus, letting Jesus say to you, I loved you then. Right. And it was probably a practice for you where you're like, you know, like some trepidation. We're like, well, what about then, Jesus? And then him saying, I I loved you then, too, you know, and just going through those scenes with him and letting him breathe life and redemption into them. It's really beautiful. Really beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, I love all of that. Um, Okay. Um, So when it comes to loving people, uh, we had talked a little bit before we went on. I I had heard, uh, we're really quick to associate our, uh, our, our actions, sometimes our occupations, but at least our actions with our identity. Um, so if somebody like is a stripper, um, and a Christian tries to love a stripper or somebody who's in a promiscuous relationship or whatever it might be, it's really easy for people to react to that and react to Christians. And sometimes it's justified because we Christians aren't, aren't as keenly discipled in the way of love as we ought to be sometimes. So what does it look like to, to love someone well when they're doing something that's hurting them, destroying them without making them feel like they are the thing that is, that is detrimental to society or some kind of reprehensible human being. 
So, oh, I have so many thoughts about this, but I think it also starts with us, right? And we, we just talked about it. So I can't love my neighbor. Mm. I can only love my neighbor as well as I love myself. And yes. I can't love them if I don't love myself. Mm. And it's the same thing. Like, I think the first question is, are we aware of our own brokenness and how God has worked in and is working in our own humanity and our own brokenness? Mm. And if we can understand that for ourselves, then I think we can arrive more compassionately and empathetically for other people. Yeah. Because even if their brokenness looks different than ours, we understand the grace of God because we've allowed, allowed the grace of God to infiltrate our own life. Yeah. If we haven't experienced that for ourselves and if we haven't experienced the way God works in and heals and moves in our own brokenness and loves us through it, mm. it's going to be very difficult for us to be a conduit of love and grace mm. to other people. Um, mm. So I would say it starts there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the rest of it, it's like, you know, loving people where they're at, meeting them where they're at. That's That's what Jesus did. One of the most powerful, impactful people in my life was the manager of the strip club mm. where I worked. Mm. And he was one of the number one key people that God used in my story. Okay. He was the first person to ever pray for me. Wow. He's the manager in my strip club. And, you know, it's a long story. I, I actually tell this story in my memoir, Scars and Stilettos. But mm. um, essentially, one night I found myself, you know, just angry at the customers. And I used to kick over drinks and you know, just get really mad at them and even mm. get violent with them, mm. you know, um, as did a lot of us. And mm. I found myself in his office and saying, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And as it turned out, he was, um, he was a Christian, he was Christian and he felt as trapped in the industry as I did. Oh, and he wow. had been trying to get out, but because of his, his history and a lot of other factors and his whole crazy story yeah. he felt stuck there. Yeah. And so he, had a briefcase and in it, he had a gun and a bottle hmm. of anointing oil hmm. and he pulled out the anointing oil, which I'd never even heard of or seen. And he prayed for me that God would show me a way out. And it was within a couple of weeks that I, that I ended up leaving for good. Okay. I just think it's such a beautiful picture of hmm. God and that he meets us where we're at. Hmm. He goes into the dark places. He's not afraid to, to go to the depths of the earth and meet us where we're at and find us mm. and demonstrate his love and his goodness and his kindness in that place and show us the path to freedom. Mm. And I feel like our boxes are too small for him. Mm. He's too big for our minds to even comprehend. And so, mm. but just understanding the way God meets us in, mm. in the broken places and he meets us where we're at and the way God uses people in spite of their brokenness, every single one of us. Um, I think understanding that will help us do a better job of loving people. Hmm. What's that prayer that Jesus tells the story about the, the two people who go into the temple to pray and the one talks about how the one goes in and just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Just on his knees. And the other one's like, God, thank you that I'm not like that. You know, uh, and it's just such a beautiful prayer. Like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, just I love that prayer. Just so simple. Jesus, help me. You know, Jesus, help. 
What a beautiful prayer. I love, I love that. Harmony, um, for people who are stuck, for people who are stuck, whether that's uh, in an industry or in a relationship, because um, you, you have so much like overlap there. It's like, yeah, I was stuck in a relationship, didn't know how to get out. I was stuck at a job, didn't know how to get out. Was stuck in a world, didn't know how to get out. What do you? How do you? How do you counsel? What do you? What do you try and give them? When people are stuck. Um, that's a good question. It's funny that you bring it up because I'm, I'm doing a free training on it. We're recording it tomorrow, but by the time your listeners are listening to this, um, it'll be live and available. Okay. So you can check out our website at IamAtreasure.com and um, be happy to give them that that tool that they can use if they're walking alongside people who are stuck or that would be awesome. themselves understand hmm. some of their stuckness. Yes. Feel free to reach out and grab that. But, um, yeah, so I think first, the first thing is to look at like, and to understand what, what are the factors that are keeping us stuck, right? So that's one of the things that we really explore, um, in the trainings that we do is the factors that really keep people stuck. And once we understand that, then, you know, it's easier to help them how to get unstuck. Yeah. But I, you know, so I don't have time to go into all of it now, but of I would course. say, and one of the main, main things is meeting people where, where they're at, because mm. that's, that's the only place that we really can start. Mm. And also understanding um, and being able to evaluate the readiness to change mm. and whether or not they're ready and trusting God with that process. Mm. Right. And so I think sometimes, and this is one of the things that my friend did for me that I so appreciate is she never tried to be the Holy Spirit for me. Right. Mm. Once I started going to church, that would have been the perfect opportunity to say, well, now that you're in church, you need to get off the pole, break up with a boyfriend, stop cussing so much, put on some clothes, right? And that's what we do to people sometimes when they walk through the doors of a church. We give them this list of rules that they have to abide by in order to be accepted by the church community, right? Um, One of my mentors, Jen Toledo, she talks about, you know, we tell people um, behave and believe. And then you can belong. And that's the message that unfortunately a lot of times the church, if you behave, you do these things. And if you believe, then you can belong Mm. when really we need to start with belonging, right? Mm. To start with you belong here, right? Mm. There's an invitation from God to all of us into his family. So we all belong. And so, um, I love that. And where people are, whether or not they're to change and, um, continuing to demonstrate a message of belonging to them. Hmm. I love all of that. I I'm taking notes as you're talking. Um, um, no, I think that that's a good, as good a place as any to end on. I, I really do think when it comes to the church, learning to see it more as a family than as anything else. And when it comes to a family, like I, it, it, it's never mattered how much I've messed up with my family. They've still been my family, you know, like that's, that can't ever be undone. We are blood, you know, and Jesus's blood is quite, it's a thick thing and it's, it's knit us together. And so learning to actually just practice family together and learning how to belong. And I think that that's, part. I mean, as I did research for this and as I saw you, one of the things that kept on going through my head was what a really cool big sister, 
you know, that you are a big sister for all of us, you know, you're probably a mother for a lot of people too, but at the very least you're a big sister and you're like, this is how I've messed up and I just love you, you know, and like, I see how you've messed up and I love you, you know, Mm -hmm. and you are prophetic that way. You're very present that way. Uh, and I just, I think, I think your life, it just spoke that to me. It's like, she's, she's a big sister and I'm really grateful even from afar to have you as a big sister. So thank you just for being with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Okay. Harmony, how, how can people track with you? I know you've like written stuff and you have a website and you do all sorts of cool stuff. Can you, all right. So one, how can people, we always ask this question, how can people track with you? Yeah. Um, and then two, how can people be praying for you? Cause a bunch of Christians listen to this and we're praying folk. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, social media is a great starting place. Um, you can find me at Harmony Grillo on mm. Instagram, mm. Um, and treasures at treasures LA. Cool. Our website is I am a treasure.com. Like mm. you're saying about yourself, mm. I am treasure.com. Mm. Um, you can get access to the free webinar that I talked about. Um, mm. It's listed on our training page. We also have some other resources that are in our resource section. One of them is for those that may be struggling with sexual addiction. And one of the things that we created is a sexual addiction quiz. Mm. So if you're wondering, hey, is this really problematic in my life? You can take a quiz that we developed along with um, a, a psychologist who specializes mm. in sexual addiction mm. and, you know, and just kind of do a self-assessment and then mm. figure out kind of where you're at with that. And we also, of course, always share resources to help people move forward um, mm. towards recovery and freedom and healing. So, And that's yeah. all on your site there? I am a treasure.com. That's that so cool. Is, is under our resource section mm. and the webinar, the free webinar on how to help people who are stuck mm. is under our training um, Mm. and of course my memoir scars and stilettos is also Mm. available there so people Mm. can check that out if they want to read more about my story or share it with someone who may be stuck Mm. and share that (laughs) that's a great way to reach people who are stuck Mm. is story yeah yeah idea i love that okay and then how how can we uh how can we just be praying for you oh Gosh. Oh, grace and grace and more grace. A tween and toddler in quarantine in California where COVID is like crazy right now. Yeah. You know, for the women of treasures, we actually have a prayer team. If anyone's really interested in getting mm. um, on board and praying with treasures, mm. we have a prayer team that they can sign up for on our website as well. That's cool. Um, because, you know, the women that we serve are some of the most vulnerable in our population. And mm. with everything that's happening in our world, that vulnerability has increased dramatically. Mm. And, um, you know, traffickers and exploiters are really looking to capitalize off of that. And so we've really got our work cut out for us and we definitely could use all the prayers that, um, that you guys can muster. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really love that you guys do that because it's such a vulnerable, there was a Charles Spurgeon. He was this famous pastor, uh, like several hundreds years ago in England and he was really young and they asked him to be a pastor and he said he would. Uh, and he gave two prerequisites for being the pastor. And one of them was you guys would pray for me uh, fervently. Mm-hmm. And so there'd be times in his life when he would experience a level of attack that um, would alarm him. And he'd get up in front of the church and he'd say, hey, uh, you guys aren't praying for me. And so you're not keeping your end of the deal, you know, just knowing that he's in a vulnerable situation. But he could intuit in his spirit when people weren't when his when God's people weren't praying for him and when they were based off of what they were going through. And he challenged them that way. I always loved that. Um, 
So thank you. I, I love that you've invited us, invite people in to pray for that. Cause those are some really, really dark spaces. Like a few things get darker, like sex is such a beautiful gift. And when it's exploited, it is, it can become an absolute curse in someone's life with the abuse and with the exploitation there. Harmony, thank you for joining us. You've just been lovely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been very cool. I, uh, I would love to get you on sometime in the future as well. Um, we've focused a lot on your story and looking some at the industry, I think would help us as well. Cause this is really good for our hearts. It's just good for our hearts. Yeah. I love it. And I can send you the links to the quiz, the sexual addiction quiz, as well as the free webinar. So you can put it in your show notes and the prayer team. Absolutely. That is perfect. That is perfect. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Guys, thank you so much uh, just for listening in. I hope that's been beneficial for you. Uh, Like I just said, it is so good for my heart. And I hope it's good for your heart, too, just to see the people behind the screen, the people behind the porn. Uh, All of those resources will be in the show notes. Uh, And like you guys, I just I just want to become the kind of person I've always longed to be, but never been able to move towards without Jesus. And I think that just hearing people's stories, hearing their pain, hearing their hopes and their dreams will go a long way in that. So in your own discipleship with Jesus, continue to to focus on story. A story is a very sacred thing. So check out the links below. Uh, share this with somebody you think would benefit from it. Uh, continue to subscribe, comments, whatever. Uh, we really love you guys. And we're thankful for you. And we will catch you next time.